Well, good morning to each of you. And greetings in Jesus' name. Appreciated that song of worship that we just sang. Is childlike faith what you hold the most dear? Faith looking to the face of our Savior. It's amazing how time seems to move so rapidly. It seems like it's been a whole lot more than just two Sundays that we weren't here. But it's good to be back with you again. I understand that last Sunday I was not here, but the message that was preached was about the intoxication of power. Is that right? And that was referring to King Saul, I believe, primarily. And what that did to his life. Today, I would like to continue in Acts. And we see another Saul of the Bible. Acts chapter 9. I don't know for certain, but very likely this Saul was named after or in honor of King Saul. And as you think about Saul's life here, the little bit we know of his early life, it seems that perhaps too he was intoxicated with something, whether it was a power or I maybe would use the word passion. We're going to look a little bit at that, but we'll also see what is possible when a life is brought under the Lordship of Christ and conversion transforms that intoxication into enablement or empowerment for, for right and truth. If you want a title, perhaps it could be Paul. Converted passion. So beginning reading here in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. We read a little bit earlier in the earlier chapters, it mentions Saul a time or two that he was watching over the clothes of those that stoned Stephen and how he was wreaking havoc in the dispersion that happened. He's still breathing out threats and slaughter. He was very passionate about protecting Judaism from this, this sect here it's referred to as those of the way. But who was this man? Who was this man, Saul? I'd like to look a little bit at, at the background of who he was. Philippians chapter 3 gives a, a brief uh, 
concise, I don't know what the right word is, uh, telling about his, his upbringing and history. Philippians 3 verse 4 says, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, this is Paul speaking, if any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. An immaculate record for a Jew. He could trace his lineage back to the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised according to the law. He was as, as much of a Hebrew as you could get in the interpretation of the Pharisees. He was zealous so much that he persecuted anything that was against, especially the church here. And touching the righteousness which was in the law, he said, I was blameless. Paul gives a little bit more of his testimony of his life later in Acts. I'd like to turn there to Acts 21. Here he is before the council, um, after he had come back to Jerusalem for the last time, I believe. Well, actually starting here in, in chapter 21, it's before that when he was in the temple and they came upon him and the Roman guard came and rescued him. Acts 21, 37. And as Paul was led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, and the captain said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art thou not that Egyptian which before these days madest an uproar and led us out into the wilderness four thousand men that were murderers? Paul said, I am a man that am a, which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. When he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with his hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, Men, and men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue, they kept the more silence. And he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. So there he, he gives a bit of his history. He said, I, I was born in Tarsus. Do you know where Tarsus was? I had a vague idea, but I sure didn't know very specifically. But if you go up the coast along Israel, Joppa, follow up the coast past Antioch, around the corner of the Mediterranean Sea, Cilicia in southern, uh, southern Asia Minor lays up there along the, the sea, and there's a river that comes down, and Tarsus was up that river a bit. I understand it was navigable up to this city, so it was kind of a port city in the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. And as at Port City, it was, as Paul says here, no mean city. It wasn't a little 
a little unknown place. It was a place of wealth and prestige. But he says, so I am a Jew from there. In Acts 22, on down a little further, after he made his speech, in verse 24, says the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade them that he should be examined by scourging, that they might know wherefore they cried so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was free born. Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid after that he knew that he was a Roman, because he had bound him. So we see that he also, while he was a Jew, he was a Roman citizen and born a Roman citizen. Somehow his father had, had become a Roman citizen. We don't know the history there exactly. But it gives us a little bit more of a picture of a man that was, was well, well-traveled. He was well-educated. He was passionate, as we saw there uh, in, in his zeal for the church, the church, his zeal for the law, his zeal for Judaism, his faith. He spent his youth or his young adult life in Jerusalem training under Gamaliel. And at some point, we learn later that he knew how to make tents. He was, he was skilled in a practical skill as well that he used to provide for himself. Continuing hearing some of his, his uh, testimony about himself and his life story, Acts 26, he's before King Agrippa. And he says in verse 4, My manner of life from my youth, which was at first at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect of our religion I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God night and day and night, hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews." Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority of the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them off in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly mad against them. I persecuted them even into strange cities. So there he says, yes, I was, I was among the, the leaders in Jerusalem or the, the religious authorities, the religious uh, leaders. They would know. 
And I was zealous about persecuting the name of Jesus. It uses the, the phrase here, exceedingly mad. Is that passionate? It wasn't just something he cared a little bit about. He was sold out to this. Galatians 1, verses 13 and 14. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. He was passionate. But passion, the passion of a Pharisee that I think would fit in the category that Jesus called out in Matthew 23, 23, when he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law of judgment, mercy, and faith. He says he was righteous in the law, and yet where is the part of the law that he later came to realize the whole law is summed up that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself after you love God with all your heart. It seemed like he was trying to love God, but it was a distorted, misdirected love. This is the background of Saul. A purebred Hebrew that was passionate about the wrong thing. What follows here in Acts 9 is an account that we have recorded three different times in the book of Acts. And I think there's something significant about that. But let's go ahead and read here about Saul as he was as journeying, breathing out threats. Verse 3 of Acts 9. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, or he was blind. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For, behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go, 
go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how, much, how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. It's interesting in our Sunday school class, Brother Jeff mentioned that as he thought about people coming to the Lord, it's a choice that each one makes. That the closest you can come to, to being compelled would be Saul. Did he have a choice? I think he had a choice, but God sure got a hold of him. But in his passion, he was not properly seeing the signs around him. Perhaps God had his eye on him. And I see here three, perhaps three steps of repentance that we can draw from this. The first would be answering the call. When the light shone and the Lord spoke, he said, Who art thou, who art thou Lord? And then he, when, when Jesus said, it, it is I, he said, What wilt thou have me to do? The first was that heart turning toward what, what should I do? And then it says that he spent three days without sight. Neither did he eat or drink. And in another passage it says, I think it was in the, the one where he was giving his testimony there before the council. When he's referring to Ananias, Ananias was told, he is bef there, there, Saul is praying. And I can only imagine the three days that he spent blind, praying, fasting. And I see a man that was counting the cost. God didn't just whip in there the first evening after they got there and said, all right, you're ready to go. I believe it was a time of tremendous soul searching. And we don't know what all went on there. But for Saul to convert his mind from being totally against Jesus to accepting him was no small feat. He counted the cost. And I believe he came in his heart to a point of surrender. And then he chose to accept the cross. He was baptized. And I think that we can apply that to some degree or another to each of us, to our own experience, the need for repentance, to accept, number one, to recognize who we are in the sight of God, to recognize who Jesus is, and to count the cost, to see what I'm willing to give up to accept Christ if I'm willing to give up, what it will cost me. 
And thirdly, we, to, to make it complete, to take that step of choosing the cross, the way of Christ, to be baptized, to identify with him. The phrase used there in, in Romans 5 is buried with him in baptism. It was a dying of self. Paul's old, Saul here, Saul's old life, with his baptism, it was gone. how much the Lord showed him during this time of what he would suffer. The Lord told Ananias, I I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. We don't know what all he went through in that time. But when he he came out, he was thoroughly convinced that Jesus is the, the Christ, the Messiah. And in, in Acts 26, before Agrippa, he, Paul recounts this firsthand. And here his, his message or the thrust, he doesn't even talk about Ananias here. But he, he says that, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that. Acts 26, beginning at verse, verse 15. After the light shone and, and Jesus spoke, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of God unto Satan, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. I believe that Paul had a... As he's relating this, as as he was there in the house of, of Judas waiting for further revelation from the Lord or, or yeah, working there, that, that he had a pretty clear vision of his purpose. And following his baptism and his being there with, with the disciples in, in Damascus, in verse 20 of Acts 9, it says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which were at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. What do you see here? A man that was converted and quietly went, sat in a corner and made tents. I see a man that still was passionate. Do you see that? He increased the more in strength, confounded the Jews. This was, he was, 
on the offense, on the opposite team that he had been fighting against. A man still of passion, but redirected in the way of truth. Continuing in verse 23, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him, but their laying wait, a wait was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the, let him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and how he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him. Which, when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. What was able to take this man, Saul, and turn him into the man that we call Paul? He was still the same man. In a sense. Are you the same person that you were before your conversion? In a sense. But as we, as I said earlier, that, that Saul was buried by baptism and he arose different. Are you the same or have you arisen differently? The power of the name of Jesus through the Holy Spirit transformed this man of passion against Jesus into a man of passion for Jesus. We don't have a very clear picture of his life in the next few years, but there's pieces here and there written. And we can conclude that he was a man that was immersed in gaining knowledge of God from a different perspective than before, and that he was busy preaching. Here it says that he went from uh, Damascus to Jerusalem. Galatians chapter 1. It says there that, that he went into Arabia and came back to Damascus and then went to Jerusalem. And, and I don't know that you say, we don't know exactly how, how all that worked, but what I'd like to, to point out here in Galatians 1, chapter 22, chapter 1, verse 22, it says, an unto, an un, Excuse me, and was unknown by face unto the churches in Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed, and they glorified God 
in me. That was a powerful testimony that people glorified God for what they saw changed in Paul's Paul's life here. Another thing, it says here that he went into Arabia, verse 17. And that, we believe, is, I don't know, I've, Ellis had been speaking, made, uh, it talked some about the, the scripture, and I forget now, I haven't been here, of course, all the time when, when he's preached, and I don't know if he's covered this or not, but sometimes, well, the, the, the New Testament written by the apostles, that was one of the, the uh, markers of Scripture to be accepted as the New Testament was written by an apostle. And some would say, well, how is Paul an apostle? And, well, he saw the Lord on the road, but it seems very evident from, from Galatians here. It says he went to Arabia and then... In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to go ahead and read chapter 11, 22, down through verse 10 of chapter 12. This is Paul's defending his apostleship to the Corinthians and saying how he is, uh, has the credentials perhaps to be, to be teaching about Christ. And it shows a bit also of his, his passion and what he suffered because he was sold out to Christ. He says here that he resorts to boasting. Basically calls it humble boasting. I guess only Paul can do that and get away with it, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 11 Verse 22 says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In laborers more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aratus, the king, kept the city of Damascus with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me, 
and through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. And I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that were given to me, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. That to me does not sound like the same man that we read about in Acts 9, verses 1 and 2. He was humble. And as we read there in chapter 11, the end there, the perils, the, the tremendous suffering that he did go through. Who of you would sign up for a, a journey, a voyage that had those things? Thrice beaten here, three times shipwrecked, five times beaten here, uh, without food for this long. None of us would be signing up. But he said, those things, those are the things that, that I find fulfillment not in those things in and of themselves, but, but I'm fulfilling my, my purpose. And we see here that he says there was, there was a time of revelation. And I believe that that was a tremendous, a tremendous time in the life of, of Paul that he was able to see the Lord in a way that no other man had. And why we have the, the scriptures so abundantly that he wrote. And yet he didn't contradict what the other apostles taught and wrote. But it was a, a continuation of what they taught. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Again, Paul's testimony of his life as a follower of, of Christ. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 4 says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For, which, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Paul was dedicated to the work. As a missionary, he, 
he preached to many people. And Acts 11 through about 20 give that, that history. And as we think of, of that, the commitment that he made, the commitment that he lived, and I had to think of the verse in Romans 1 where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation and to everyone that believeth. And his testimony at the end of, I guess toward the end of his life, likely there in, in Romans chapter 10, he is pointing out his his observation of the nation of Israel. And I think he speaks from experience here. He doesn't talk about himself, but he could have been talking about himself. Romans 10 verse 1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believeth. That was not what Saul believed to begin with that Christ is the end of the law. But I think that as Paul experienced the faithfulness of God, as he suffered, as he spoke bravely and boldly, that he was able to experience that true righteousness through Christ. Passion that was converted. And he was willing to go through a lot. You know, I think of people that are passionate about hunting and they will take long trips and spend tens of thousands of dollars and go through hardship to search for an animal. There's passion in other areas that people expend a lot of time and money in. And I would like to ask you, I would like to ask myself, what are you not ashamed of? As he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What are you not ashamed of? And what are you passionate about? Because I believe it's possible to be passionate not in direct opposition to the work of God, but to be passionate about things that are taking away from our, our fruitfulness. I don't know the hearts of each of you here. But as you open your heart to the Lord by the Holy Spirit, Think about that. What are the things that I'm passionate about? And a sec another question would be, am I kicking against the pricks? The, the rod, the, the guiding rod even. Maybe not we think of a, a prick, a poke, and yet God could be gently calling us 
to some area that we need to give up on, that we need to surrender, that we need to take a step of faith. Are there areas of your life that are not surrendered? Has your passion been converted? Has my passion been converted? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we are here in your presence. We thank you for the body of believers. And we can gather together, we can encourage one another. We thank you for the scriptures and for the examples that you have shown us for the truth. Father, we thank you for the life of Paul. And as we see here, he was a man that was zealous, but about the wrong things. And as as you spoke to him, as you made yourself plain to him, that he was willing, he counted the cost, and he was willing to, to take the step of faith and place his trust in Christ as his Savior and to give himself wholeheartedly to work in your kingdom. And Father, I pray that each of us here, as we expose our hearts before your spirit, will be willing to also make that same commitment to follow your leading, to follow your direction, to understand the the rod, the prod that perhaps you are using in our lives. May we be faithful to respond in repentance and faith. That we can be fruitful in your kingdom and and that we can experience that edification, that comfort of the Holy Ghost. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.